Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies, or die trying. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. We are putting a hold on the Best Picture Marathon this month as we, well, I guess technically it's already October when this comes out. I'm recording it very late on uh, September 30th, um, but there's a lot to get into. Uh, we're putting a poll on the Best Picture Marathon uh, as we do a review of all the film festivals that have wrapped up at this point, as well as a preview of all the films that may be in awards consideration for the rest of the year. Uh, if you've been following me over on our Oscar race, uh, you know I'm doing some slightly manic analysis of past Best Picture nominees to try to get idea of what factors go into determining the slate of Best Picture nominees to help me come up with a list of potential films that you definitely want to put onto your list to keep an eye out for for this award season. There's a lot in here. My script is like 20 pages long. So without further ado, let's hop in. So first off, the film festivals. I'm going to talk about six major film festivals, Sundance, Berlin, Cannes, TIFF, and Venice. No, actually, that's five. My bad. Um, I'll mention the top winners in this uh, for this year from each one, as well as any Oscar w- winners from the last year's iteration of the same film festival. First up, Sundance. Last year, the main relevant films was Coda, of course, Best Picture winner, who won the U.S. Dramatic Jury and Audience Awards, and then Summer of Soul, who won the U.S. Documentary, Jury, and Audience Awards, as well as Flea and Writing with Fire, taking World Cinema Documentary, Jury, and Audience Award, respectively. Now, while Coda and Summer of Soul kind of swept swept last year, this year it's not quite as consolidated. Uh, for U.S. Dramatic Jury this year, Nanny, a horror film about an undocumented Senegalese worker in New York City, uh, won will be available on Prime Video in mid-December. Uh, for the U.S. Jury documentary, The Exiles, which is a documentary following up with a political d- dissident from Tiananmen Square, not also not yet available. Uh, World Jury documentary went to All That Breathes, which is a Hindi-language documentary about brothers in Delhi who rescue injured birds. This one should be available on HBO Max in 2023. Uh, for U.S. audience dramatic, uh, Chots Are Real Smooth, which is a film by Cooper Rafe, starring Dakota Fanning about a young man who develops a relationship with a mother of an autistic girl, which is currently available on Apple TV+. A U.S. audience documentary went to Navalny, who also won the audience festival favorite, which is a documentary from Warner Brothers about the poisoning of Russian opposition leader Alex Navalny in 2020. Uh, This one is currently available on HBO Max. And then the World Audience Documentary Award went to the Territory, which is National Geographic's documentary about indigenous Brazilians who class with settlers in the Amazon rainforest. Again, not yet available. Uh, moving on to the Berlin Film Festival, this one isn't historically that relevant to the Oscars, uh, with last year's winners being Bad Luck Bangin' or Looney Porn from Romania. Uh, this year, the Golden Bear went to Alcaraz, a, a Catalan-language film from Spain about a conflict over a peach field. Uh, this one could potentially have some legs, as it is uh, Spain's submission for the international film category. Moving to Cannes, a last year's relevant Oscar films were Worst Person in the World, who won the Actress Award there, though it was nominated for screenplay at the Oscars, and Drive My Car, which won screenplay at Cannes and also got nominated for that at the Oscars, among other categories, including Best Picture. Last year's Golden Palm winner was Tatan, which ended up being a bit too weird for the Academy, not even making it into the international film shortlist as Francis submissions. This year's Cannes Awards went to, for the Golden Palm, Triangle of Sadness, a satirical dark comedy about wealth inequality, uh, picked up by Neon for a U.S. release. Uh, we have, for Best Director, Decision to Leave, Korean director Park Chan-wook's romantic mystery cop procedural. Um, uh, this is selected for South Korea's submission for Best International Film and picked up for distribution by Mubi. Uh, 
Uh, for Best Actress, Holy Spider is a Persian language film about a female journalist who investigates a serial killer who targeted sex workers. This was selected as Denmark's entry for international film. For the international film, uh, for Best Actor, South Korean film from uh, Japanese director Hirokazu Koreeda, starring Parasite star So Kang Hoon, about the phenomenon of baby box orphans um, and adoption black market. Um, the award went to So Kang Ho. This one was picked up by Neon for U.S. release. Unfortunately, it is neither Japan or. South Korea submission, so it was unlikely to get anything at the Oscars this year. For screenplay, we have Boy from Heaven, which is a Swedish political thriller set in Egypt. Uh, selected for Sweden submission for international film, uh, no yet uh, no yet confirmed U.S. distribution. Now, moving then across the pond to Toronto at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, last year's People's Choice Award winner was Belfast, who went on to get a nomination. In fact, since 2012, every People's Choice Award winner has been nominated for Best Picture. Um, last year also saw Power of the Dog get the PCA second place runner-up, as well as Flea getting the second runner-up in Documentary. Uh, this year, the People's Choice Award went to The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical film from Universal Pictures. This, the first runner-up for uh, the PCA Award went to Woman Talking, which is Sarah Poli's drama about women in an isolated religious community grappling with their faith, uh, adapting a novel from Miriam Toast. Uh, this one is released by United Artists Releasing. And then second runner-up uh, for People's Choice Award went to Glass Onion, which is the Knives Out sequel from Netflix. Uh, the People's Choice Documentary Award went to Black Ice, which is a Canadian documentary about the colored hockey league um, so you know a hockey film is going to do well in Canada uh, moving back to Venice last year's Golden Lion went to The Happening which didn't get any Oscar nominations though aside from that in general recently it's been a pretty good indicator for a best picture nomination Shape of Water got it in 2017 Roma in 2018 Joker in 2019 and Nomadland in 2020 uh, we did get The Hand of God also winning the Grand Jury Prize last year and Power of Dog getting the Silver Line for directing as well as Penelope Cruz getting the Best Actress Award last year uh, for Parallel Mothers uh, this year at Golden Lion, All the Beauty and Bloodshed is the rare documentary to actually win the top award of the festival in its 79th iteration, uh, the first being back in 2013. Uh, this one is about an activist Nan Golden and her efforts to hold the Sackler family accountable for the opioid ep epidemic. Uh, this one was picked up by Neon for U.S. distribution. The Grand Jury Prize, second place basically, went to St. Omer, a French film about a literature professor who observes a trial of a young student mother whose daughter has died. Uh, this one was selected by France as to be its selection for international film and was picked up by Neon's boutique label uh, Super, who also did Quo, uh, Quo Vitus Ida a couple years back. Uh, for the Silver Lion Directing Award, this went to Luca Guadagnino, uh, the director of Bones and All, a coming-of-age romantic horror road film, what a genre mix, uh, led by Timothy Salome about two cannibalistic lovers in Reagan-era America, distributed by United Artists. Uh, Best Actress went to Kate Blanchett in Tar, universal psychological drama by Todd Field about a fictional composer-conductor of a major German orchestra. And then Best Actor went to Colin Farrell of Bounces Insurin, Martin McDonagh's uh, black comedy about two Irish best friends. This evening by Searchlight, uh, Bounces of Insurin also picked up Best, original, best Screenplay at Venice. 
And then finally, we're going to talk about the New York Film Festival, which actually, I believe, is starting this weekend as I record this. Uh, rather than do specific winners, actually, they don't really have winners, but what they do do is they select films to be an opening, centerpiece, and closing film for the festival. Generally, at least one, maybe two of these films end up getting nominated for an Oscar in some form or another. For example, last year, the opening film was Tragedy of Macbeth, Parallel Mothers was the closing film, and Power of Dog was the centerpiece, so they went three for three last year. Uh, 2020 only had Nomadland, the centerpiece, getting nominated, and 2019 had the opening film The Irishman and centerpiece film Merit Story both getting nominations. Uh, for this year, the opening film is White Noise, uh, a black comedy star written and directed by Noah Baumbach, adapting a supposedly unadaptable 1985 novel of the same name, starring Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig coming to Netflix. Uh, the centerpiece is All the Beauty and Bloodshed, which we already talked about from Venice. Um, and then closing film is going to be The Inspection, which is a drama film written and directed by Elegance Braddon, starring Jeremy Pope about Braddon's real-life experience as a gay black ma marine recruit uh, coming from A24. Now, while these were the winners of the top awards at these film festivals, arguably the bigger news on the film festival circuit was just how many perceived frontrunners in the race ended up having mediocre reviews. I will go into those right this second. However, we will go through all those potential contenders later this episode so I can fill you in on all that juicy drama. Uh, before that, though, a quick thought on film festivals, right? I ended up doing multiple analysis over on the R Oscar race subreddit where I looked at Best Picture nominees in the era since the category expanded beyond the five films. One of those analysis was looking at with, at the six film festivals, um, all um, six at six film festivals, all of the five above, aside from Berlin, adding in Telluride, which doesn't really have awards, uh, to check if a film simply debuted or appeared at the film at all in some capacity. The idea being that I want to know which Best Picture nominee, how many. Um, uh, film festivals is the best picture nominee need to sew up at in order to have a chance at being nominated. And if uh, sewing up at more film festivals was, was, was significantly helpful. So here are my findings. Out of 116 films, 51 of them had a screening at TIFF. Um, and notably, 12 of 13 PCA winners got nominations uh, for Best Picture, while 9 winner-ups also got nominations. Um, then we have 29 out of 116 getting a screening at New York Film Festival, um, with 13 of the 29 opening, closing, or showcase films uh, um, getting nominated. Um, and then 27 had a sewing at Telluride, 19 had sewing at Venice, uh, though the Golden Line only predicted 4 nominations. 16 had a sewing at Sundance. Uh, seven of 16 went on to wit went on to, uh, had gotten one of the top awards, and then 15 had a sewing at Cannes. This leaves 34 films that did not soap at any of these film festivals I just mentioned. Now, 26 of these 33, uh, 34 were late December, November films. Uh, 12 of them being on Christmas Day, so makes sense if you want to release in the late period without spoiling, without coming to a film festival. Um, you still have a chance just because of the proximity to the Oscars. The seven who did not attend the film festival. Festival or had a late release where uh, either one of the came in one of the first three years when they just expanded that so they were figuring out what to do with the category so this is District 9 Inception Toy Story 3 and The Help um, or your Grand Budapest Hotel who actually did open the Berlin Film Festival in its year and we also have Trial of Chicago 7 and Don't Look Up during the pandemic um, so that was a weird year and of course Black Panther in 2019 which was such a weird one but it also had just so much uh, cultural significance that um, it was definitely a, a unique situation there 
So on average, films uh, that got nominated for Best Picture had about 1.98 festivals under their belt. So call it about two films or so, same as the median. Uh, the mode, though, is one. Um, and then six out of 81 films uh, sold at uh, six out of 81 films uh, that sold at a film festival sold at at least at four of the film festivals, um, which was the most of any of these films. Uh, further, Best Picture winners on average attended 2.46 festivals, with the median mode being three. So it looks like attending more film festivals tends to be better for films that are uh, going to get Best Picture. Now, out of 13 winners, uh, TIFF had 10 attendees, Telluride had 8, New York Film Festival had 6, Venice had 5, Cannes had 2, and Sundance only had 1 in CODA. Uh, no Best Picture winner has not yet appeared at any of these fil- at, le- at least one of these film festivals. So, uh, if we talk about films that did not sell at the film festival, uh, they may not be in the, in the front runner for uh, actually winning Best Picture in this case. Now to that end, though, you know, aside from films like Babylon, who come out in December, the films that attended the most film festivals this year were uh, Woman Talking, showing up at TIFF, winning one up, as well as Telluride at New York Film Festival, Triangle of Sadness at Cannes, taking the Golden Palm, as well as TIFF and then New York Film Festival, This Is in the Leave, also showing up at Cannes, TIFF, and New York Film Festival, and then Tar at Telluride, Venice, and New York Film Festival. Uh, in addition, The Fablemans did win at PCA, which is, again, a pretty solid indicator for Best Picture nomination, and a number of films sold up at two of these films festivals, Empire of Light, Banshees of Insurin, The Sun, The Whale, White Noise, and Bardo. So another analysis I did was actually looking at studio allocation. Basically, how many films on average did any individual studio in Hollywood get nominated to the Oscars per year, specifically in Best Picture? Now, going back to the 2020 ceremony was a bit interesting because uh, since then, Disney has been acqu- has acquired 20th Century and Searchlight, Warner Brothers has been acquired by Discovery, the Weinstein Company is basically no more, Amazon acquired MGM and, by extension, United Artists, and then streaming companies like Netflix, Apple, and TV have entered the fray. So in the 13 years post-expansion, the breakdown is that out of 160 nominees, uh, 20th Century Disney and, and 20th, sorry, 20th Century Searchlight and Disney combined had 32 nominees. Sony had 14. Warner Brothers had 14. Universal Focus Features had 13. Paramount had 11, though they have not had a nominee since 2018. Um, the various indie companies like Neon, A24, Janus, IFC, Open Road, and Roadside all had nine nominees combined, with A24 having the most at, at uh, with four out of these nine. The one Company got six. Lionsgate had five nominees, uh, three of which were during 2017, which is very weird because they haven't had any since, and the only prior they had were two in 2010. Uh, and then MGM and United Artists had two, with streamers, uh, not counting uh, MGM and UA, uh, Amazon, Netflix, and, and Apple getting 10 nominees uh, in the uh, three, year, three, to four, uh, three to four years uh, since they've come onto the scene. So with these numbers, you can get an average number of nominees each year uh, since we know there's going to be a locked 10, right? You take a percentage. So that said, with acquisitions and some companies to solving, if you look post-2018, the landscape looks something like, uh, in order from most to least, uh, streamers usually have about 3.14 films a year, so call it three films. Uh, 20th Century slash Disney slash Searchlight has uh, about 2.29 films on average out of 10, so call it two films. Universal slash Focus Features, about one point four three films, so call it uh, either one or two films. Uh, Warner Brothers has 1.43 films, so about one or two films. Uh, Sony has uh, 0.86 films, so a little bit less than one film a year. Uh, indie films have also 0.86, so call it, again, about one film a year. And then Paramount, again, since 2018, has not had a film, so they are currently at zero, which makes for some interesting uh, analysis later, given some of the nominees we have. 
Now, the reason I do things this way is I want to go through all of the films uh, that have some sort of award potential, mostly Best Picture, but some others as well. Um, I want to do it by studio so you can get a sense of, you know, studios are going to prioritize some films over others. So if we talk about them by studio, we know which films are going to get the most love from their respective studios since they have the best chance to win. Um, you know, I'm also going to mention when I talk about these uh, these um, movies, um, you know, if the crew, you know, cinematographer, editor, composer, for example, um, were former Oscar winners or not nominees, um, since, you know, the Oscar tends to repeat nominee uh, people who, whose work they like. So, like uh, like I just gave, we're going to go from most nominees uh, that we expect out of uh, down to the least, um, starting with streamers. Now, by this, I mean Netflix, Amazon, and Apple TV, with Amazon including MGM and United Artists at this point since they have been acquired. So first off, Netflix, kind of like the big elephant in the room. You know, last year they definitely spent a ton on a bunch of nominations uh, in their awards campaign, uh, basically coming away with very little. Um, the biggest one being, you know, best director for uh, Jane Campion, but you know they missed a ton of stuff for how many how many nominations they got. Uh, going into the film festivals, all the buzz was for Bardo, which would be uh, by Oscar favorite Alejandro Iñárritu, and it would be his three-hour epic comedy in black and white, directed and written by him, co-written by Nicholas Biakabone, and sought by Darius Konji, his longtime collaborator. Now, you know, all this hype for the side, after debuting at Venice, it ended up being ravaged by critics, you know, getting a 51 on Metacritic, mostly criticized for its length as well as its self-indulgence, which added with some arrogance from Inurita reportedly on, regarding dangerous conditions on set certainly doesn't help his case. Now, the Academy is made up of filmmakers and not critics, notably, and names like Kate Blanchett and Chloe Zhao have praised the film, so it remains to be seen if the poor reception to Bardo from critics sets it out entirely or if the Academy will reward him as a fellow filmmaker. At the very least, it does have a shot at international film as Mexico selected for its submission and the Netflix machine still is enforced, though with their financial situation, it may be less enforced than last year. Um, it does get a limited release November 18th before coming to streaming a month later on December 16th. Another Netflix film that kind of flopped critically was White Noise, the adaptation of a seemingly unadaptable novel by Noah Baumbach, reuniting him with Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig, as well as Don Cheadle. Uh, Baumbach writes and directs the film, while Danny Elfman, who's previously been nominated, composed the score. Metacritic for this ended up at 68, versus his previous nomination of Merit Story, which came at 94, so definitely a step down. At this point, it looks like the only real nomination it might get is Best Adapted Screenplay, um, since the film, the novel it's adapting is reportedly unadapted adaptable. Um, it will release domestically in theaters November 25th before coming to streaming on December 30th. So, with their two main Best Picture nominees flopping hard, Netflix really needed a win. They got one with Glass Onion, a Knives Out story, the sequel to the surprise hit from a few years ago that got an original screenplay nomination. Rian Johnson is back to write and direct with Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, uh, and a who's who in the cast including Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, Kate Hudson, David Bautista, Ethan Hawke, and many, many more. Uh, the Metacritic review for this one uh, ended up at 81%, just the same as the original Knives Out 82, though qualitatively, qualitatively, I've heard people seem to enjoy this a lot more. Uh, getting the second one up at P uh, PCA TIFF certainly helps as well, with rumors of a potential supporting actress run for Janelle Monet, uh, in addition to adapted screenplay since it's a sequel, as well as editing helping its chances. I think this one probably will end up becoming Netflix's main uh, main push for Best Picture, since the other two perceived frontrunners have kind of fallen off. It comes to theaters sometime in November, I'm guessing Thanksgiving, before hitting Netflix on December 23rd, right in time for the holidays season. 
So those are the main Best Picture nominees from Netflix, but there are a couple of other potential films in other categories. All Quiet on the Western Front uh, is Germany's submission for international feature, adapting the same novel as the 1931 Best Picture winner, has emerged as a potential frontrunner for international feature with a Metamet Critic of 78, releasing October 28th on Netflix. Uh, Blonde uh, is an NC-17 rated adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates' novel of the same na name about the life of Marilyn Monroe, played by Anna de Armas, directed by Andrew Dominic. There was potential for a Best Actress one, I think, but a strong Best Actress field, plus mixed reviews, only 49 on Metacritic, means I think at this point it's rather unlikely um, since the film already has come out this past week. Uh, moving on to animated films, Pinocchio, Guillermo del Toro's stop-motion passing project, not the Disney live-action live remake, um, is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, seems to be a sight to behold. You know, the Academy loves Guillermo del Toro, giving him three nominations, even if it didn't get any above the, uh, and a Best Picture nominee last year for Nightmare Alley. Um, you know, it's going to be in select cinemas in November and come to Netflix on December 9th. Um, speaking of live uh, of stop motion animation, we also have Wendell and Wild, which is Henry Selleck's return to the medium since Coraline, uh, with voice cast by, Key, by a reunion of Key and Peele. Um, this one is releasing on Netflix October 28th, just in time for Halloween. Um, another heavy hitter is going to be uh, My Father's Dragon, which is the latest from Cartoon Saloon, you know, of Wolfwalker fame, who is currently at 100% batting average for getting their feature films nominated for Best Animated Feature. This one uh, comes November 11th to Netflix. Uh, moving to the documentary side, uh, there was the, uh, Obama's production company Higher Ground um, has a documentary about a, uh, the last known slave ship to arrive in the United States with enslaved Africans called Descendants. Um, so this one I think uh, will probably uh, get a nomination. Um, and then you know there are a couple of other you know art house type films releasing in this time period: Good Nurse, Pale Blue Eye, The Wonder. Um, but they really haven't generated much buzz at this point, so I wouldn't uh, worry too much about them. Now, given Netflix's recent financial issues this year, I wouldn't be surprised again if they do end up rolling back their awards campaigning this year um, in order to cut costs. Now, in past years, they've gotten like two Best Picture nominees. This year, I think they'll probably only get one in Best Picture, though it should be easy for them to get uh, well animated in international. Uh, moving to Amazon, you know, who will maybe fill in the gap. Um, by that, I really mean MGM and United Arts Releasing. Um, they have one major push, but it's a real top-tier contender here. A uh, Woman Talking, coming to theaters uh, December 12th before going wide on December 25th, uh, is based on a novel of the same name about eight Mennonite women who have a secret meeting regarding abuse in their colony. As we noted, this got first run up at TIFF, and in addition, director, director, the former nominee Sarah Poli, who also wrote the screenplay, won the Telluride uh, Silver Medallion. It's not really an award per se, but it has correlated with a Best P Director win, not just a nomination, but a win in the last couple of years, with Jane Campion and Chloe Zhao both winning it the years that they received the medallion. In addition, it features nominated actresses Frances McDormand, Rooney Mara, Cleo Foy, and Jesse Buckley, with the latter two apparently in strong contention for both getting a supporting actress nomination. It also has a score by Hilda Guan, uh, Guanodotir, who won for her score for Joker. Um, and honestly, I have this as arguably the eventual winner of Best Picture, um, but we'll get more to that later. Uh, so far, Woman Talking has an 80 on Metacritic. There are a couple of other films from United Artists. Uh, Till is a, is a biographical drama about the real-life story of Mammy Till Mobley, who pursued justice for her son Emmett Till, who was lynched in 1955. The standout hero seems to be Daniel Deadweiler, who plays Mammy and would compete for Best Actress. It is debuting uh, this weekend, October 1st, at New York Film Festival, so we'll see how the reactions are before it releases October 14th nationwide. 
Uh, we also have the aforementioned can uh, Cannibal Love Story, Bones and All. This one seems more likely to get an Independent Spirit Award than an Oscar, honestly. And then George Miller released 3,000 Years of Longing last month, but it's a bit of a critical flop, so I can think you can probably ignore that for now. Uh, finally, with Apple TV, after last year of set with Coda, they're certainly looking to follow it up again with a back-to-back -back win. Unfortunately for them, it seems they don't really have any competitors, right? Like going, you know, earlier in this year, it looked like maybe Martin Scorsese's uh, Killers of the Flower Moon with Leonardo DiCaprio would be the main contender this year, but that got pushed back to 2023. Uh, in addition, Ridley Scott's Napoleon epic starring Joaquin Phoenix is unlikely to be finished by the end of the year as well. So what do they have? Well, they got Tata Real Smooth, which they did pick up from Sundance, winning one of the two awards there. It starts Dakota Johnson, but hasn't really broken out since it's really getting social release uh, reviews on its release this summer. Um, they also tried to get a director and writer, Peter Ferrelli, who won Best Picture with Green Book, uh, to many people's chagrin, joining him with Zac Efron, uh, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray for a Vietnam War action comedy film based on the real-life story called The Greatest Beer Run Ever, which came out yesterday, September 30th. However, Metacritic score for this was 38, so I think that's dead on arrival. Um, so they're getting so desperate, I think that they might be pulling up Emancipation, a story based on a film based on the true story about a slave named Peter who joins the Union Army. Um, however, they're starring Will Smith, and given he's currently banned from attending the Oscars for a decade or so, that seems to be a shaky proposition at best for Apple. They also do have a Jennifer Lawrence film called Causeway about a U.S. soldier struggling to adapt to life after a brain injury in Afghanistan, coming out November 4th and released at TIFF, but it has reviews of about 65 or so, so nothing too glowing. So I think uh, Apple will have to take a rest this year after CODA. So, um, you know, looking at streaming overall, uh, where they usually had three uh, nominees in the past years, I think this year is going to be just two, uh, Glass Onion from Netflix and then Woman Talking from MGM slash Amazon. So, you know, Moving along to the more traditional studios, uh, we have 20th Century slash Searchlight slash The House of Mouse, aka Disney, uh, who, as a reminder, is really good at getting nominations with about two slots uh, per year um, in historically. Uh, first up, I have, as a likely nominee, Banshees of Inisherin. Um, as we noted earlier, it got two awards at Venice and comes from Academy Award favorite Martin Madonna as writer and director with a cast of Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, who will likely be nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, respectively, um, Kenry Condon and Barry Keegan. Uh, the editing is by Mikkel E. G. Nelson, who, who won for Sound of Metal, and the score is by Carter Burwell, who has been nominated previously. A lot of song performances here with some technical merits as well, solid reviews at 90 on Metacritic, this one releases on October 21st and is likely going to be Best Picture nominated. Uh, on the flip side, we have a film that seems good on paper, but for whatever reason, didn't really have a good response from film festivals. Empire of Light is directed by 1917's Sam Mendes, and also written by him, stars uh, Oscar darling Olivia Coleman, who's competing for Best Actress. Cinematography is by the legend Roger Deakins, edited by Lee Smith, who won for Dunkirk, and scored by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who are three times winners for score. Again, a ton of technical prowess here, um, and you know, a premise, a love story that takes place on period 1980s England in the seaside movie theater. I mean, that's basically, you know, catering to the Oscars so heavily. However, critics' reviews are less than kind, coming in only at 58. I think aside from Olivia Coleman uh, at, at uh, Above the Line, this one likely competes mostly in technical categories, with the strongest probably going to score for Trent Reznor and cinematography for Roger Deakins. Though it could sneak in as a second nomination for 20th Century. Um, this one releases December 9th in the U.S., 
Now, I said it could sneak into a, a second slot for the 20th century. However, I think you know a, a, another likely candidate from December is the long-awaited return of the box office king himself, James Cameron, Avatar 2 Way of Water. The first Avatar was nominated for seven technical categories, plus director and best picture, winning three of those nominations. Uh, with over 13 years since the last one, do you really count out James Cameron or is he going to go three for three with best picture nominees since Titanic? Uh, the December 16th release schedule also works in its favor as it's going to be right near voting period and everyone's going to be buzzing about this film. Um, at the very least, I think the technical categories of cinematography, production, sound, and visual effects are locked categories to be nominated here. Um, another potential blockbuster sequel from Disney um, is uh, Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever coming out of the MCU. Now the first one did get Best Picture but only got below the line nominations, nothing above the line, though it ended up winning uh, six, three of the six nominations it received. I imagine a lot of the same staff were involved and adding on that the film plan is a planned tribute to the beloved Chadwick Boseman, I think this could get into Best Picture off of a combination of technical merit and uh, you know and, be and belovedness. Um, that said, I think a lot of it will also hinge on box office success. The first one at the time sought up to be the third highest grossing film domestically at the time, breaking 700 million. It's since dropped to number six with Endgame, No Way Home, and Top Gun Maverick surpassing it, but still, this was such a cultural moment that everyone saw it. Uh, if Black Panther 2 gets close to that, I think this could do a well play for Best Picture. Otherwise, uh, maybe not Best Picture, but almost certainly on the technical front. This one releases Veterans Day weekend, November 11th. So aside from those, there are some other non-Best Picture candidates, which Disney, as always, has in its belt. Um, MCU film-wise, you, know, you have Doctor Strange 2, Thor Love and Thunder for maybe visual effects nominations. Uh, Turning Red from Pixar is likely to get nominated for Best Animated Feature, has a score of 83 on Metacritic, and out of 21 possible nominated, nominated films from Pixar, no film with a score lower than 79 has ever not gotten nominated, with even a couple below 79 getting in. So I wouldn't hold my breath, though, for Lightyear. That one has a score of, like, 60, so yeah. Uh, turning red, not light here. Uh, meanwhile, on the Walt Disney Animation Stein, Strange World releasing the Thanksgiving weekend is another pretty safe bet. Since 2008, that is, you know, what? 16 years at this point, I can't do math, uh, 20, maybe 14 years at this point, um, the Walt Disney Animated Studio Film of the Year, aside from 2011's Winnie the Pooh, has been nominated for Best Animated Feature, uh, and if you ignore 2004-2007, which is kind of the dark ages for Disney, this goes back to 2002 with Lilo and Stitch to the very first uh, animated feature category. Now, there was a hot minute when Good Luck, Le Good Luck Leo Grande, The Menu, and even Amsterdam won conversations as potential nominees, but I don't think there's any real chances for them at this point. Um, and again, as we mentioned earlier, in, as part of their ownership of National Geographic, uh, Disney has the documentary The Territory, which got acclaim at Sundance, so could be a player for a documentary feature. So to recap Disney's slash 20th century slash Searchlight slate, Banshee of Inisherin is basically locked for best picture with I think one of the three of Empire of Light, Avatar 2, or Black Panther 2 joining in as well, um, with all of them I think being uh, competitive for technical categories, as well of course at least two animated films coming from them. Now, no, this is the these are the, the, the studio streaming and 20th Century that have at least two nominees a year. We enter the films that are maybe more likely one nominee a year, but maybe two, um, with Warner Brothers and Universal slash focus features. Uh, we'll start with Warner Brothers Discovery first since they're pretty easy. Uh, it certainly has been a year for Warner Brothers. Uh, between the spin-off of Warner Brothers from AT&T to be merged with Discovery, and then pulling back from their HBO Max first strategy to cutting a lot of potential films for tax write-offs, I have a lot of people really mad at them and, the, and new CEO David Zaslav. Uh, one might be inclined to think that, hey, maybe they're going to skip the Oscars this year. They, wanna, they don't want to spend money on a four-year consideration campaign. 
And that's not an impossibility, frankly speaking. However, assuming that they at least want to save face and keep up appearances and run something um, and you know keep up their streak of getting at least one nomination a year, I think the most candidate, likely candidate is going to be Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's biopic on the rock and roll icon starring Austin Butler himself as the titular role opposite Tom Hanks. Austin Butler has been praised by so many individuals in the industry uh, for assuming the role, the role of the king himself. So I think that's an easy nomination for above the line, uh, you know, best actor. Now, whether that translates the best picture nomination, we have yet to see. Uh, again, Warner Bros. has only missed one of the last 13 years in getting a, be- uh, a film to best picture. And I think I found a correlation between best actor and best picture, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but I think it's a pretty safe bet uh, for best picture uh, for Elvis. In addition, it has technical nominations as well. Costume makeup, production, even sound could help it out. Not to mention, you know, to a lesser degree compared to some other films we'll talk about later, it's really done really well at the box office, making over 4.8 times its opening weekend gross for the summer, one of the highest multipliers of the year. Now, in comparison, uh, we have Don't Worry Darling, which I think was what they were hoping was going to be an Oscar contender. You know, Olivia Wilde after coming off of Booksmart with critical acclaim starring Florence Pugh. Um, But with all the drama between them, as well as Harry Styles, Sila Booth, and Chris Pine, not to mention the thrashing it got at the film festivals with only a 48 on Metacritic, um, and Florence Pugh planning on not doing any press for the film after Venice, this one's pretty much dead in the water, I think. I don't know. Maybe get a nomination for longtime Aronofsky collaborator Matthew Lee Batik, uh, who admittedly has another film in consideration this year, so maybe not. Or maybe could get a nomination for John Powell for score, since he got nominated for How to Train Your Dragon. But this one's probably not making it to the Oscars. Uh, moving to like some other smaller categories, you know, on the DC side, you have some potential nominations. Uh, Black Adam, of course, could be one of the many VFX nominations. But I think the Batman actually has a shot at quite a few technical nominations. Uh, in addition to visual effects, it has Oscar-nominated Greg Fraser doing the cinematography and the Oscar-winner Michael Giacchino doing the score. Uh, you also have hair and makeup and sound as well. Uh, we also have on the documentary side Navalny, a documentary about Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and his poisoning in 2020 that got awards at Sundance, as well as All That Breeds, a documentary of India that also got some, nom- some nods at Sundance. So for Warner Brothers, it's basically going to be Elvis for Best Picture with maybe the Batman for technical nominations and a couple of documentaries as well. Uh, moving over to Universal and Focus Features, we've got a lot of heavy hitters here. Again, one or two slots up for grabs based on historical precedent. The big elephant in the room and the film to beat uh, is probably going to be Fablemans, uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, love letter, uh, semi-autobiographical film that won the People's Choice Award from TIFF, which is basically a guarantee it's going to get nominated. Uh, Metacritic score is 84. It's pretty stacked also with a lot of uh, potential in multiple categories. On top of Spielberg as director and co-writer alongside Tony Kushner, you have longtime Spielberg collaborators John Williams on score, Janusz Kaminski on cinematography, and Michael Kahn on editing. Plus you have a cast including pop featuring Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Judd Hurst, and Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams specifically has actually thrown quite the wrench into the race, as whilst he is in the traditionally supporting act- supporting actress role of the mother figure, it's been announced he is going to go for best actress versus supporting, making the race super competitive while opening up the supporting actress race. Adding some potential costume, production nominations, I think this is the film to beat this year, uh, at least for now. Uh, personally, I think Woman Talking, I think, has a little bit more edge to it. You know, you always see that the, the front runner never ends up actually winning in recent years. Um, but hey, that, that's just my take right now. Anyway, speaking of Best Actress, while Michelle Williams is a powerhouse with four nominations to her name that's look, still looking for a win, she will be up against a seven-time nominated and two-time winning nominee, Kate Blanchett, who leads Tar. This is a film directed and written by Oscar nominee Todd Field and 
Bant's Head plays a German composer in what has been described as a tour de force, getting a 91 on Metacritic and winning Best Actress at Venice. This is certainly going to get nominated for Best Actress with a chance at Director as well. There's also a chance that Hilda Guandotier again gets her second nomination for the year uh, with score, since he's also doing the score for this one. However, the big question is if it will get Best Picture. Now, one of the analyses I looked at was how Best Actor and Best Actor films are correlated to Best Picture. When we talk about now, you know, it turns out that Best Actor films has about a 73% correlation rate with Best Picture. Best Actress, on the other hand, only has about 44% nomination rate. Another way of looking at it, out of five nominees, on average, you have 3.69 Best Actor nominees uh, 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 are appearing in Best, nom- Best Picture nominated films, while for Best Actress, only 2.23 nominees show up in the Best Picture film. Out of the last 13 years, 12 Best Actor nom- winners uh, were in Best Picture nominated, or Best Actor, yeah, winners were in Best Picture nominated films, while for Best Actress, only eight years had the Best Actress win in the Best Picture nominated films. Uh, in only three years did at least did fewer than three Best Actor nominees get in the Best Picture, and that was only two, right? So a minimum of two uh, be- um, Best Actor films, uh, Best Actors will be in the Best Picture film. Whereas for Best Actress, it was only two years that they had, had four Best Actress nominations in the Best Picture film, never all five nominees. And there were four years even where there's only one or even no Best Actress nominees in the Best Picture film. Again, certainly not impossible. There is still, you know, those 2.23 nominees. Um, but it seems that the Academy has a harder time considering films about women and their careers and their place in the world as best picture worthy material uh, for, be- for better or worse, mostly worse. Um, and based on the cursory look I did at all the best actress nominees that did not get a best picture nomination, um, this, I think, Tar kind of unfortunately fits into this trend. Not impossible, but just a lot of history to overcome. Now, those are the two main best picture contenders from Universal who would take the one, maybe two slots they have. There are a couple of other categories still in contention, though, right? Sea uh, Set is a film starring Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan, directed by Maria Schrader, adapting a book about journalists who exposed the Harvey Weinstein abuse and the sexual misconduct scandals. It's premiering at NY- New York Film Festival this weekend, so no reviews for it are out yet. That said, I think it's a little bit overshadowed at the moment, so at most, I think it looks like a best adapted screenplay nomination. Um, also, is Nicholas Battelle has been nominated for who has been nominated for a score before worked on this film as well. That said, you know, even though it's maybe looking at only best adapted screenplay, you know, Next Best Picture has it in their top 10. Um, I think journalism-based pieces such as Post or Spotlight tend to overperform, so it could be a sticky best picture win if you were kind of cheeky. Now, Armageddon Time is a period drama set in 1980s Queens with a fairly strong cast, uh, including Anthony Hopkins, Anne Hathaway, and Jeremy Strong, sought by Darius Konji once again. Uh, this one is kind of getting overlooked at the moment, debuting October 28th. The only realistic shot I think it has is at a supporting actor nomination. Uh, nope, Jordan Peele's latest uh, science fiction film released over the summer is unlikely to get the same critical success as Get Out, but there is a strong outside chance it sneaks into a technical category such as cinematography or sound or VFX, uh, according to Next Best Picture. A Jurassic World Dominion is a potential player for visual effects, while Minions Rise of Gru, The Bad Guys, and Puss in Boots, the latest coming out in uh, December, could be competitors for Best Animated Feature. And then Rose, which, came out, which is coming out this weekend, has had some buzz about a potential original screenplay nomination, though I think it faces a lot of stiff competition there. And then this last one is a super, super long shot, but The Northman, uh, which released earlier this year to a financial flop, does have some pretty compelling production value. However, uh, it's unlikely given the poor, um, the poor financial performance. But hey, where do things have happened? It could be maybe one technical nomination. 
overall, I think Fableman's is obviously a lock. Um, if Universal is able to swing a second nomination, it's probably going to be Tar. Um, but I think it also has a shot at some nominate, some technical nominations in other categories as well. Now moving down to Sony, who uh, is a bit of a precarious situation based on their film slate, and while they usually have at least one film a year or so, it could very well be no uh, Best Picture nominees for them this year. Uh, the main film that they've been pushing is The Sun. Now, if you remember a few years back, Florian Zeller and Anthony Hopkins, uh, they won with The Father, which is a film adapting Zeller's stage play of the same name. It's actually another play in that cycle he's also adapted, this time uh, starring Hugh Jackman as the titular son. Now, while Jackman and to some degree Laura Dern and Vanessa Kirby for supporting actress have gotten praise for their performances, it has sharply mixed reviews. Uh, apparently, the last scene is a bit controversial, has a bit of uh, manipulative feel to it. Uh, Metacritic uh, has the entire film coming in at about 60%. Um, as of right now, I have it as the most likely film to be nominated from Sony for Best Picture, if only because of the best actor correlation to Best Picture we talked about and Zachman being a likely nominee. But it could very well be that it, that it is its only nomination in Best Actor. Um, maybe we get Hans Zimmer's score, but you know that I, I, this is very shaky. So what else does Sony have in play? Now, a couple weekends back, Viola Davis' film The Woman King debuted with stellar reviews, 77 on Metacritic and like 99 on, on, on Rotten Tomatoes, though it does have review bombing as get on it as well due to some controversy over historical accuracy. I think the main factors at working against it are, one, it's not a true breakout success financially, right? It's looking to, at best, break even and probably come in at a loss. Uh, two, despite a strong launch at film festivals, it's still launching way too early. September is very rarely when films are going to end up uh, making it to uh, all the way to December uh, to keep stay in the conversation. Um, and, you know, there are other films to overthrow it, in particular Black Panther 2, which has a lot of the same, um, you know, black power action, you know, sequences going on there. And then three, again, the... the the main thing I think going for this would maybe best actor the, is, is that is, is against is the best actress correlation. A woman centric film, unfortunately, does this generally did not get best picture. Um, again, this is just based on historical statistics. I would love to be proven wrong. Um, there is a chance to get some technical nominations, costume and makeup in particular, but by no means are those sort of things either. The other Sony Best Picture contender I have is I Want to Dance with Somebody, which is a Whitney Houston biopic that has a very feel-good vibe based on the, on the trailer we've seen. Stars Naomi Ackie as Whitney Houston is written by Anthony McCartan, who has two previous screenplay nominations. In addition, Barry Ackroyd, who has previously been nominated for cinematography, is the uh, director of photography on this. Now, the big reason I'm favoring this over I Want uh, over Woman King is I think it's proximity to the award season coming out in December, plus the feel-good nature to it. Now, it could very well be overwhelmed by Avatar coming out around the same time, but it somehow takes off as a feel-good holiday musical film, sneaking a couple of nominations here and there, potentially, potentially in the best actress phase, potentially in screenplay, but that'll be about it. Other of those three, the outside of those three, the only real contender for Sony is Living, a, a British remake of an Akira Kurosawa film starring Bill Nighy that premiered at Sundance. Nighy is probably the biggest highlight of the film and is currently in most conversations the fifth place uh, for Best Actor, partly for his role here, partly as a legacy award given his long tenure in Hollywood. Mama tells of this one, it releases in this coming December. Uh, there's also A Man Called Otto, which is very Oscar-y based on the description, but not really showing up on anyone's radar uh, in terms of awards consideration. So yeah, for Sony, I think at best when they get one Best Picture nomination, but even that's not a certain thing at this point. 
Uh, moving on to the indie category, again, these have been mostly historically about one nominee per year, about half of those going to A24. Now, for this category, I'm only going to be looking to talking about uh, distributors that have contenders for best picture or other above the line categories, as well as other category, uh, as well as, as any of the other films they have. I'm not going to talk about um, best uh, indie films that have maybe um, you know one one category in, in, in international film or whatnot. Um, we'll talk about some of those later. Now, the big player of indies is, again, of course, A24. Now, while they've been hit or miss with their campaigning in recent years, they have some pretty heavy hitters. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is the little indie film that could this year, being the highest-grossing film of all time and a surprise hit earlier this year. From the ever-inventive Daniels directing and writing team to starring the legendary Michelle Yeoh, supporting by Keho Yoon Kwan, Stephanie Su, and Jamie Lee Curtis, and despite not appearing at any film festivals unless you count South by Southwest, it is consistently in many people's conversation as a front-runner for Best Picture and multiple other categories. Sort of subject matter is very bizarre and not your typical Oscar fair for the Academy, but considering what people have it for, but consider what people have it for. The Daniels, maybe for directing. Michelle Yeoh, nearly locked for Best Actress. Kehu Kwan, supporting actor, maybe. Uh, Stephanie Sue, maybe for supporting actress. Um, this is a near lock for original screenplay. It's multi with its multiversal story that does it better than Doctor Strange did. Uh, editing consideration, maybe costumes, maybe makeup, sound production, and real thoughts at visual effects, which is impressive given they only had five people on their visual effects team. It even has an original song to its name. I mean, maybe I'm biased because this is my literal favorite movie of the year to date but everything everywhere all at once certainly is going to get something this year and hopefully best picture nomination at the very least now for a more traditional film festival release a24 also has the whale which is part of brendan fraser's renaissance uh directed by aronofsky with cinematography by matthew liberty who we mentioned earlier uh, it has supporting performances by sadie sink uh, who's doing killing it right now especially with stranger things and also hong chow it's edited by andrew weisbloom who worked on on back swan uh, this one is a family drama about a 600 pound man trying to reconnect with a 17 year old daughter the reviews from the film festivals were mixed to okay settling in at 64 but almost everyone was glowing about Fraser with a lengthy standing ovation on uh, at Venice, um, and you know, on top of his out of screen narrative about making a comeback to the industry after being blacklisted for years, he's almost certain to get a Best Actor nomination, if not a win here, with one of maybe say this thing or Hong Tao getting a supporting actress as well as adapted screenplay of being likely. Um, and of course, given the transformative, prosthetic, heavy makeup, uh, uh, have makeup and hairstyling, that's probably going to get a nomination as well to transform Fraser. It'll be a close race between these two, everything, every all at once, and uh, the whale to see if only one indie film indeed makes it the best picture. Uh, but, you know, hopefully maybe we can get both. Uh, beyond that, A24 has also picked up the Belgian entry to Best International Film Close, a story about two 13-year-olds whose friendship comes under scrutiny by their peers. This one actually got the second place at Cannes, functionally the second place prize, so there is some buzz for this already. You also have the absolutely adorable Marcel Lassell with Suzanne, which, if it's eligible, could be an animated film, though I think the competition there is already pretty strong. Now, moving to the next indie distributor, Neon, obviously has had success with Parasite, and they are back with another Golden Palm winner with Triangle of Sadness. Uh, Ruben Austin's first English-language film is a satire of the rich and wealthy taking place on a boat, captained by a Marxist, uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, some buzz early on in this year would seem to have cooled off as other contenders have emerged. At this point, I think its only real com competitive uh, category is original screenplay at best. 
Another cast pickup for Neon was broker Hirokazu Koreeda's film starring Song Kang-ho. Well, I'm personally not, I personally am very much looking forward to this film as I love his film Soplifters. This one did not get picked up by either Japan or Korea for their international submission, so pretty slim is going to get anything. At best, maybe a surprise nomination for Song Kang-ho after they got snubbed for Parasite. Still not likely, though. Uh, Neon is more likely to get nominations for St. Omer, a French submission for international film we mentioned before, won the second place award at Venice. Um, Neon also picked up documentary, All the Beauty and Bloodshed, which took first at Venice, so will be a frontrunner for documentary. It also distributing the Vulcan- Vulcanologist documentary Fires of Love, which has been playing in theaters all summer and could be a contender for that category. And finally, the last screwball suggested I'll make uh, probably not going to happen, but it would be crazy if David Cronenberg's Crime of the Future somehow sneaks in the best hair, hair, hair uh, makeup. Not happening, but it would be hilarious if it does. The last indie distributor I'm going to talk about is Mubi, the streaming platform which is making its way into the distribution game by picking up Decision to Leave, Park Chan-wook's latest film from Cannes that won him Best Director. After his success with Old Boy and Handmaiden that got snubbed, this one has a lot of buzz around it, at least for the international category. There's an outside chance it does get a direct nomination, which I'm mentioning here, um, um, but that would be mostly for career recognition, I think, more so than this specific film. Uh, movie also has Alcaraz, Spain's submission for international film category, uh, which won the Berlin Golden Bear. And of course, documentary rights, they have, they're distributing the documentary Free Chol Su Lee about a Korean-American activist. Now, honestly, I think the most likely scenario for the indies is that everything, everywhere, all at once takes the nomination, um, while maybe the whale sneaks in there somehow. So if you've been keeping track, here's the tally so far from all the studios. Uh, for streaming, we have two out of the allocated three, Glass Onion, Woman Talking. 20th Century, we're definitely getting Banshees of Insurance, and probably one of Empire of Light, Avatar 2, or Black Panther 2. Warner Brothers, while they may have maybe one and a half films allocated to them, we're really only going to get one in Elvis. Uh, Universal, you know, has definitely Fablemans getting in for the one and a half films, maybe Tar. And then Sony, you know, maybe they have one film, uh, maybe going to be Su- The Sun, maybe Woman King, maybe I Want to Dance with Somebody. Uh, and then for the indie films, uh, we have Everything Everywhere All at Once, probably getting the slot, but, you know, you never know about The Whale. So that puts us at probably eight films or so locked out of ten. Maybe up to ten films already out of these, but, you know, maybe maybe down to seven, depending on how you think uh, Tar, The Whale, and Sony end up doing. Uh, this leaves us with our last studio, Paramount. So, Paramount's first film in contention is The Return of Damien Suzelle this Christmas with a throwback to old-school Hollywood excess in Babylon. Supporting cast of Margot Robbie and Bad Pitt, among others, you have Suzelle's other longtime collaborators Linus Sandrin in cinematography, Tom Cross from editing, and Justin Hurwitz in score. Obviously, no one has seen the film yet, but based on the holiday timing and the subject matter and the pedigree of the staff behind it, it just looks to be a strong contender in a supporting actor and actress, a director, screenplay possible for Above the Line, and Below the Line, cinematography, costume editing, makeup production score, and sound, among others. Uh, the other contender for Best Picture from Paramount is, oddly enough, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Now, if you had told me at the start of the year that the reboot to the 80s naval recruitment m- movie uh, with uh, volleyball would be a Best Picture contender, I'd call you crazy. But here we are. Uh, now, this doesn't really have any above-the-line consideration, but there are a couple of factors helping it out here. Much like Black Panther, literally everyone and their mother saw this film multiple times. Again, this actually made more money than Black Panther did. Um, much like the biggest film, uh, much like Black Panther, um, and, you know, it's literally the biggest film of the 
summer so far. Uh, while making a lot of money isn't everything with the Oscars, it certainly doesn't help getting it, the word out there, um, especially since you know it, it since Hollywood isn't this you know um, existential question of will people go back to movie theaters. Top Gun definitely answered that question. Uh, secondly, it does have technical merits, right? Again, uh, it's likely going to be a nominee for editing, uh, putting together those hours of aerial footage they captured on real naval planes, as well as sound. Now, there's a real fun stat here, and this also applies to um, Babylon in this case. Um, out of the 30 films in the last 13 years that got nominated for both um, editing and sound, or one of the two sound categories when they were so split apart, 28 out of 30 of them got in the best picture. The only, the only two that did not were Baby Driver, which is very much because of Edgar Wright uh, being very much an editing and sound genius, and The Force Awakens. Now, Top Gun being a big blockbuster could put it in the Force Awakens category, but it also puts it up against, and it does also put it up against Avatar 2 and maybe Black Panther 2 as well, but still, this stat is a point in its favor. Plus, it also has the Lady Gaga original song, which is kind of the front runner right now. So yeah, I think Top Gun Maverick could be a Best Picture nominee, crazy as it sounds. And going off of the list we generated so far, I mean, with eight likely locked at this point, Paramount could break the curse of not having a nominee since 2018, with a splash getting two in this year. All that being said, here's my personal prediction for Best Picture. Don't hold me to this. Um, this is just based on all the factors of studio allocation, number of film festivals you attended, Best Actor versus Best Act, uh, Best 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 Actor versus Best Actress. Um, yeah, I mean, here's here's my thoughts. You know, Glass Onion, Woman Talking, Bands of Inisherin, Elvis, Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Babylon, and Top Maverick are basically your top eight, and then the last two slots are, you know, Tar. The Whale, one of the, the 20th century films, Empire of Light, Avatar 2, Black Panther 2, and one of the Sony films, uh, Sun, The Sun, Woman King, or I Want to Dance. Two of these, I guess, call them, call them four categories, um, will make it into Best Picture, and this to the other eight. Again, Glass Onion, Woman Talking, Bansies, Elvis, Fablements, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Babylon, and Top Gun Maverick. Okay, uh, we're like 51 minutes into this episode, and uh, you know, I that those are the most relevant films of the year. Obviously, we hop from studio to studio, to, uh, the to studio, but you know, they put it in another way. I want to go through a tier list of which films you should be paying attention to. Um, you know, again, this is the Oscars death race. We want to focus on which films are going to give you the most bang for your buck. So when the actual race starts, when nominations are announced, you are in the best spot so that you can you have the most nominations get picked out. Um, I took part of this list, though not entirely, but you know, a lot of this comes from looking at. Uh, the top films from uh, Next Best Picture as of, again, September 30th, October 1st. If you were to watch the top 15 films, according to them, based on you know their top 10 Best Picture and top 5 for each other category, you would end up with um, 83 out of 105 of the nominations, not including the sorts, um, getting nominated with um, about, you know I think it was something like um, 37, uh, nomin 37 total films nominated, um, which is tra tracks in line with historically what we've kind of come up with. So, you know, I would say the top 15 films getting that, that 81 out of 105 nominations will put you in a really good place uh, come Oscar race season to focus on the sorts and the random one-off stuff like, you know, uh, animated film, which could be really weird, or documentary, which could be really weird as well. Um, but also a couple of special categories, speaking of those, so we'll, we'll go through those real quickly. First, on the international front, I would say the five front runners right now are probably all quite on the Western front from Germany, coming on October 28th to Netflix. Bardo from Mexico, coming to Netflix December 16th. Close from Belgium, in limited release from A24 on November 1st. A Decision to Leave from Korea, in theaters October 14th, thanks to Mubi. And then St. Omer from France, in theaters to be determined from Neon. 
There are also a couple of other potential contenders based on film festival buzz of other circumstances. Um, Alcaraz from Spain and theaters TBD from Mubi. EO from Poland, which last year got some, which in the last year has got some film festival nods, and it's picked up by Janus, the group behind Drive My Car last year. Um, Klondike, which is a Ukrainian film, uh, which given certain current events may be stronger than you think uh, if they can find a U.S. distributor. The last film, so from India, which did not, they did not pick RRR, but you know, um, it seems to be a type of film the Academy will like. Uh, no U.S. distributor yet. Um, Plan 75 from Japan, which got some nods at Cannes. Um, no U.S. distributor yet. And then this last one doesn't really have a chance, I think, but I got us out of my beloved Philippines with On the Job 8. Um, so yeah. Uh, moving to animated feature, I think the five front runners, for my opinion, is pretty set in order of release. Uh, Turning Red, which is already on Disney Plus from Pixar. Uh, my Father's Dragon from Cartoon Saloon, again, 100% nomination rate, coming to Netflix November 11th. Uh, Netflix's Wendell and Wild with uh, Henry Selleck and Kean Peel coming October 28th. Uh, Strange World from Walt Disney Animated Studios coming Thanksgiving in theaters. Uh, and then Guillermo del Toro's Stop Motion Pinocchio coming to the- Netflix on December 9th. Yeah, there are other contenders, Bad Guys, Minions, Marcel Cell with Suzanne, Puss in Boots, but you know, I don't think we're going to get an animated film, sadly, even with the new Makoto Senkai film uh, releasing in Japan this year. Uh, looking to the documentary, this one's always super hard to predict. Uh, here are the five I'd keep an eye on, though obviously this could just be thrown out the window. I think the only real safe one is All the Beauty and Bloodshed from Neon, coming to theaters October 29th. Um, we have Fire of Love, also from Neon, already in theaters. Navalny from Warner Brothers, already on HBO Max. The Territory from National Geographic, already released in theaters. And then Descendants from Netflix, coming to Netflix October 21st, courtesy of the Obamas. Uh, the other two to keep an eye on, I think, would be All That Breeze with a TBD release date on HBO Max and Movies Free Chol Su Lee. Finally, the most fun, if you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, category from the Oscars is Best Original Song. Now, I'm terrible at predicting this also, but here's just some that come to mind. Um, now, as opposed to act- any actual real thought to this, I kind of went with who the biggest names that have songs are. Um, and, you know, I also had a little bit of help from Next Best Picture. Um, you know, Top Gun has Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga. Uh, Black Panther will probably get a song from its soundtrack. Uh, Turning Red, Nobody Like You with Billy Eilish and Phineas coming back, want- wanting to come for a back-to-back win. RRR, while I'm not getting a national nomination, has the song Natu Natu. I still haven't seen RRR yet, so I definitely have to watch that. Um, Everything Everywhere All At Once has a song called This Is A Life by Sun Lux. Um, Where the Crawdads Sing has a song Carolina by Taylor Swift. Marry Me has Jennifer Lopez has a song called On My Way and also the Latin artist Maluma on the, on the, in the movie. Um, there's a song called New Body Ruma, which I'm not really sure what that is from White Noise. Um, apparently there's a new song on the Avatar Way of Water soundtrack. Um, Lyle Lyle Crocodile coming out uh, in a little bit has a song by Son Mendes. Uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies has a song by Charlie XCX. Don't worry, darling, I'm sure had something by Harry Styles. I didn't really pay attention to the soundtrack. But then, of course, we have the indefatigable, uh, we don't talk about Breakthrough, Diane Warren, who apparently has a song called Applause on the film called Tackle It Like a Woman. And you know how she with her nomination so take your pick for which you think are going to get nominated I'm pretty sure Lady Gaga is going to get nominated I'm pretty sure Diane Warren is going to get another nomination from there just pick which ones you want for your predictions anyway let's go through all the tiers of the films that I think uh, have have a chance or not really any chance I guess uh, to get awards consideration both above the line and in technical categories going from least to greatest so first we have F tier these are films that are 
unlikely to get any sort of nomination at this point, but I've mentioned them at some point in this episode with one exception I really want to call out. Um, but, you know, these are films like Titan, Titan last year, which did not get, sort after it got, I missed getting shortlisted for international film, um, or Dear Evan Hansen after it flopped at TIFF. So unlikely. So the film I wanted to mention is, uh, unf- unf- is Official Competition, which is a Spanish comedy um, from IFC. Um, but, you know, it stars Penelope Cruz. You know, she tends to surprise us with not coming out of nowhere with her films. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's going to get anything. It, it kind of be funny if it does. I wanted to at least mention it here, say at least I mentioned it. Um, but I don't think it's going to get anything at this point, though. I'd love to be proven wrong again. Anyway, uh, the F tier, unlikely, aside from official competition, uh, Don't Worry Darling, 3,000 Years of Longing, Broker, the, War- the Wonder, Greatest Beer Run Ever, Good Nurse, The Menu, Causeaway, Amsterdam, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, Emancipation, Good, ba- Good Luck Leo Grande, Pale Blue Eye, A Man Called Otto, Northman, Crimes of the Future, Lightyear, um, might be missing something, but you know this is the F tier, don't, don't really pay attention to these. Moving up to D tier, these are films that I think are a stretch, like these are maybe like Six through eight, eighth pace for one of the for one of the uh, for one of the these categories. Um, there's also maybe some consideration for a technical nomination here. Think maybe Spencer uh, or maybe being the Ricardos last year. Um, so you know, D tier we have the Woman King, who's maybe a stretch I think for maybe costume nomination uh, and technical. Uh, we have Nope, who's maybe a stretch for visual effects. Um, moving to the above the line stuff, you know, we have a uh, Triangle of Sadness, which is a stretch for screenplay. Armageddon Time, a stretch for supporting actor. Bones and All, a stretch for director or maybe maybe a technical category. Um, Bo- Bros, which is a stretch for screenplay, and at this point, Blonde, which is a stretch for leading actress, and of course also here you would put the various visual effects films like you know marvel films or jurassic world or the dc films uh, or specifically black adam uh, next up we have c tiers now these are films that are a stretch for best picture um though i personally don't have any of these in my list um and they also have a decent possibility for above the above the line categories think nightmare alley or tragedy of macbeth um, i'm also going to start mentioning release dates here um, so in C tier, we have Till, uh, which I think has a um, a decent possibility for above-the-line actress uh, for Daniel Deadweiler. Um, this is coming from United Artists in theaters October 14th. Um, we also have C-Said, uh, which is, I think, a, a, a decent possibility for screenplay coming from Universal in theaters November 18th. Um, we have I Want to Dance, uh, which has above-the-line consideration for Naomi Aki for actress or uh, uh, original screenplay coming from Sony on December 21st in theaters. Uh, we have Living, uh, which is uh, you know, a pretty uh, decent possibility for lead actor for Bill Nye. Uh, this is coming from Sony December 23rd in theaters. And then we have White Noise, uh, which is you know, a decent possibility for above-the-line screenplay uh, coming to Netflix December 30th. Now, I'll insert between C and B tier, a C plus tier. These are pretty much all technical nominations, but they're not going to get any above-the-line nominations, mostly. Um, but these are pretty much locked to get multiple technical nominations. And, you know, I think I even have one of these maybe getting into Best Picture for my personal list. Think Dune last year, but more realistically, right, like House of Gucci or Cruella, right? Cruella was like basically a lock for costume when we saw it. Um, in addition, the 15 films after this point, so C plus up, are films I think you want to start prioritizing and watching watching to get a head start on the majority of nominations of the race. Again, Next Best Picture has the top 15 films getting 81 out of 105 nominations uh, for the non-sort films. 
So uh, for C+, I have Top Gun Maverick, which is in my best picture list. Um, multiple technical categories already released by Paramount. Um, Avatar 2, again, multiple technical categories um, from 20th Century, December 16th. Uh, Black Panther, right, multiple technical categories coming from Marvel, November 11th. And then The Batman, uh, multiple technical categories already released on HBO Max. Moving back to above-the-line considerations, uh, we have B-tier, films that are... There's real consideration for them to get Best Picture nomination, and they are very, very likely to get an above-the-line nomination. Um, I have these as Best Contenders uh, in my top 10. Um, think of West Side Story or Tick, Tick, Boom last year. So B tier, right? Uh, we have The Sun, which I think is uh, very likely to get above the line, uh, to get the Best Actor nomination for Hugh Jackman, coming to theaters uh, by Sony November 11th, and you know, I have it in my Best Picture list. Um, Empire of Light, um, I have in my, uh, I would personally pick as my best uh, as my Best Picture list out of Avatar or um, Black Panther 2, um, and but I really have it for its above the line lead actress um, uh, Olivia Coleman, probably going to get a nomination coming to theaters. To September 9th by Searchlight. And then Glass Onion, I have that above the line, uh, very likely for um, uh, adapted screenplay. Also a good chance for uh, John Omelet that's a little bit lower down. Um, this one is, and I also have in my best picture, coming to Netflix on December 23rd. And then in eight here, we have films that are very likely to get Best Picture, uh, two of the four in here on my personal list, and they are basically locked to get an above-the-line uh, above nomination. Um, think Belfast from last year or King Richard last year. Um, though Belfast, I think, might not be the best because it had the PC, but whatever. Um, eight here. So Elvis is basically locked for Best Actor on, on my in my uh, Best Picture list, already released on uh, HBO Max. Um, we have Babylon, which I think is probably going to get uh, multiple above-the-line nominations, the most likely of which is probably going to be director, I think, um, and just in general, best picture, um, very likely. The reason I don't have it higher is just we haven't really seen too much of it to, to say maybe something's going to backfire, but you know that it is what it is. Coming to theaters by Paramount on December 25th. Uh, we have Tar, who I have as a lock for best actress, not necessarily for best picture. Coming to theaters October 7th from Focus Features. And then we have The Whale, um, which is, again, a lock for best actor, not necessarily for best picture, but definitely a lock for best actor. A24 is releasing this in theaters December 9th. And then finally in S tier, we have the films that are pretty much locked to get Best Picture at this point, in addition to multiple above-the-line nominations. Think Power of the Dog or Licorice Pizza last year. Uh, we have The Failments from Universal, releasing uh, limited release November 11th, going wide at Thanksgiving. We have Woman Talking, United Arts releasing December 2nd Limited, December 25th wide. We have Banshees of Inisherin, releasing by Searchlight on October 21st. And then Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, already released by A24. Um, to make this a little bit easier, here are the top 15 films uh, in order of release date. Again, apologies if some of these are just limited release dates here in New York and L.A. This may come later, depending on where you're based in the world. Already released, we have Top Gun Maverick, The Batman, Elvis, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. October 7th, we have Tar. October 21st, Banshees of Inisherin. November 11th, really busy with Black Panther, The Sun, and the limited release of The Fablements. November 23rd, The Fablements wide release before Thanksgiving. December 2nd, we have Woman Talking limited release. December 9th, we have The Whale and Empire of Light. Uh, December 16th, we have Avatar and Way of Water. Uh, December 23rd, we have Glass Onion on Netflix with a November release at some point, uh, probably around Thanksgiving, um, and, and theatrical. And then December 25th, we have Babylon to limited release, and then Woman Talking going wide, with Babylon going wide in January. 
So yeah, that is basically my preview for uh, the, o- the Oscars death race. Again, these are the, definitely if there's one takeaway here, watch those top 15 films. I'll put them in the show notes. Um, of course, there are so many other films as well that have other considerations as well that I could have listed so many more dates, but you know, we're already an hour and five minutes into the script as, as it is. Um, so yeah, let me know what you think of this analysis. Let me know what your predictions for Best Picture are, or other categories are at this point. Um, you know, I was kind of going a little stir crazy when I was doing the analysis during film festivals, but here we are. Um, in any case, uh, we'll be back next month uh, with a very special guest uh, to join me for the Best Picture Marathon. Uh, we're going to be talking about films that uh, you know are by the best pic- films that have uh, from directors who have films coming out this year. So, um, you know, we have Steven Spielberg with The Fablements. He's previously won for Schindler's List. And we have James Cameron with Avatar 2 coming out this year. He previously won for Titanic. So I'm going to watch both of those films for next for next month's episode of the Best Picture Marathon. Um, and then we'll go from there. Um, in the meantime, this wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this, uh, you know, kind of return. Looking forward to the, ep- the season coming back in late December. Uh, let me know how you're, you know, let me know what your plans are for getting ready for the death race, how you're doing uh, in with your prep work over on Twitter at Oscars the Racecast or via email at Oscars Death Race Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to this show or, or on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You leave a review or on there or just share it with a friend who loves movies. Any of that is super helpful. If you want to directly uh, also link there will be my letterbox account under the username NinjaBoy more than I. Go ahead and follow me, see what I've been watching for this list. Also be sure to check out the Oscar race and Oscars Death Race subreddits as well as the Oscars Death Race Discord and the community website. Links in the show notes. Music provided by Kevin MacLeod, uh, adding content at formation.io, editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this week, or this month rather. This has been Paul of the Oscars Death Race Podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to get ready to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Mm-hmm.